Anybody here know what the best-selling book in all of, it's not, okay, best hardcover. So we're not talking about the Bible. Besides the Bible, what's the best-selling book in all of human history? Anybody know right offhand? No? Close? <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, 150 million copies. Uh, another one of the big ones uh, that sold uh, 85 million copies is um, uh, C.S. Lewis's The uh, Chronicles of Narnia. But there's another Christian book that's there in like the top 30 best-selling books of all time, another Christian book, uh, and that is Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, i just kind of curious, how many of you have uh, either read this or taken a course on this in some way? Anybody here? Yeah, a lot of them. A lot. Wow. On this side over here on my right, a lot of you. And um, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, surprised everybody because it did become a very, very uh, instant, uh, a fast uh, moving instant bestseller, selling 33 million copies worldwide. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for its success, but one of the primary reasons for the success of Rick Warren's book is it addresses the dignity that every human being has because we are created in the image of God. And he touched on something that even non-Christian people could identify with. And the subtitle of his book, actually, it's called The Purpose Driven Life. The subtitle, and you can see it there in that little picture on the screen, is What on Earth Am I Here For? And I want to ask you the question this morning. What on earth are you here for? And I don't mean what are you here in this church for, this sanctuary, but what are you on earth for? Why were you born? Um, it wasn't just your parents' idea. This was something that God had in store for you. Rick Warren in this book says that there's three levels um, in life that people uh, live at. One is survival. And I know it, it, it pains me to say this, but I, there's some of you who may just be living in survival mode in your life. And that is not what God intended. Others live at the level of significance. And that is their lives really matter. Uh, you know that when people go to their funeral, uh, the the the, uh, the tributes that are given to them are absolutely uh, amazing and inspiring because they left footprints behind them. But most people, Rick Warren says, live at the level of success, and he says they live a comfortable life. They have everything they really need: money in the bank, the uh, hope of eventually being debt-free, perhaps, but yet they still feel unsatisfied, even with all the trappings of success. And this is what he says, and this is a quote. Now, society defines success this way, looking good, feeling good, and having the goods. We call that, he says, the good life. That's the title of this series of messages. This 13 weeks on Paul's, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians in Philippi. Looking good, feeling good, having the goods. And the only problem with that definition of the good life is it leaves people feeling unsatisfied in the end. Because God has created every one of us with a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill my definition of the good life, and I believe that God's definition of the good life is so much different than the material 
definition of a good life. And God's definition of a good life, I believe, and this is really seen clearly in this letter to the Philippians that we're studying, is a good life is a life that has lived well. A life that has lived well. Sometimes when I'm at a funeral or a memorial service, uh, people will say of the deceased, this man, this woman, lived well. And so this message this morning and the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is important because I'm, my goal in this message today is that you would understand and that I would understand more deeply what the good life is, um, what it means to live well, what it means to live life on God's terms, not on our terms, that, that each one of us will learn to interpret all of our experiences in life um, with greater optimism and hope because we know that life has purpose and life has meaning no matter what happens. And that this message might just encourage some of you not to despair and lose heart when the going gets tough. So I find myself uh, inspired by the idea of living a purposeful life. Um, And I'll be honest with you, uh, the reason I don't want to retire unless somebody retires me Uh, The reason I don't want to is I love living a purposeful life. And now, I know I can live a purposeful life when I retire. I know that living a purposeful life is not about relaxing. It's not about buying an RV and traveling all over North America. That's not a purposeful life. Depends what you do with it, of course. But living a purposeful life is a life that is lived on God's terms. And I'm intrigued by that idea. And I'm also intrigued by people who seem to endure more than their fair share of suffering and tragedy in life. And you know people like this, and yet they radiate joy and gratitude. You ever meet anybody like that? You kind of look at them and you're like, you know, how can they be so happy and content knowing what they've been through? And there's something inspirational about that. You know, um, Job's wife, if you read the book of Job in the Old Testament, and, and everything goes wrong in his life. He's a prosperous man. He's a man of God. And um, then, you know, his family is killed. Everything is destroyed. And his wife says to him, what? What's her advice? She says what a lot of people today would say, curse God and die already. And he doesn't do it. He holds on. At the end of his life, God restores everything to him. And even more. So I'm fascinated with the faith of this man, the Apostle Paul, that, who wrote this letter uh, to the Christians in Philippi. But here's my concern. And I, I, I hope that the reason you come to church is because you hope to be maybe challenged or inspired or encouraged or comforted. Um, and that it's not just a habit, but you actually come to experience transformation. Because that's what this is about. And I'm concerned that there might be some people here today even some of you who call yourselves Christians, even some of you who've been baptized, might have the wrong idea about the good life. You bought into you know, the American dream, the Canadian dream, uh, the materialistic view of the good life. And maybe you've not really stopped to contemplate what it means to live well. I'm concerned that a lot of you have no anchor to hold on to, to hold you steady during the storms of life. Because you know what? Everything can be good, and you can be living the good life until tragedy strikes. Seriously. 
And I think you know that. What are you going to do then? And I'm concerned that too many of us are just waiting to die or just waiting to go to heaven when we die but having no clue about what we're supposed to do in the meantime. The meantime. Like, we're here now. How do we live purposefully and meaningfully now? I'm concerned that too few people, including Christians, have yet to learn the why of their existence. You need, everybody needs a big compelling why. Why am I here on this earth? And without knowing the why of our existence, people tend to just live for the next thing. So, you know, basically, I, I got a job that I hate, and I'm just living for, the, for the, the next thing, which is the weekend. I'm living for the weekend. Or I'm living for the next vacation. Or I'm living for the next adventure in life, the big thrill, the adrenaline rush. And that's sad. Because that's not really the stuff of life. These longings that we have for something more um, are signposts that are pointing us to a better world. God has put eternity in our hearts. You are an eternal being. And even when you, this body is shed and you give up this body and you meet Christ in heaven, there's so much more life to live. And it's the really good life. Uh, so the truth is, the Apostle Paul, um, you know, he, he believed, the Apostle Paul suffered a lot for his faith. He did. Like, the guy, I mean, not just for his faith, but just for his ministry. Because he insisted on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere. Preaching the fact that this man who was crucified rules from the dead. And he paid a big price for it. And yet what's interesting is, he didn't disparage the idea of enjoying the pleasures of life. Not at all. And you can read about it in 1 Timothy chapter 4 where he says, you know, everything that God created is good and is to be enjoyed. Did you know that? God has created everything good in this world and is to be enjoyed if it's received with thanksgiving, with gratitude. And if it's consecrated by prayer. And so, you know, and the Apostle Paul knew that. And, I, I, and he lived a joyful existence even in the midst of all of his sufferings. The problem, though, is when we reduce life to the here and now. And we think that all these blessings that we have is the stuff of life. So the other night, last night, uh, well, two nights ago, my wife made a roast beef dinner. And we had some neighbors over. We had my son-in-law and my grandson, Finley, over. And then we had, uh, we had uh, five people over who were who not believers. Um, and one of them was a neighbor family. And another one was a, a young lady, uh, I think in her 20s. Um, yeah, anyway, 31. Yep, Yua. And she just moved from China. Last week, she speaks great English. We had them over for dinner. And, uh, and that's what we want to encourage you to do, by the way, during the season of Advent. Just reach out to people. We had the most lovely conversation with these people, most of whom are not believers. And, um, and Colleen made this amazing roast beef dinner. How many of you love roast beef? You know, like, and, and so, you know, like when it's cooked slow and then, and then you let it sit in its own juices after you take it out of the oven, you know, and thick, 
thick gravy, like dark. This is like dark gravy. And, and then this other family who are neighbors, they live on the other side of the Crescent, they brought over this, this amazing salad with all kinds of chunky stuff in it, you know. Like it was so good. It had a real crunch to it. And uh, it was an awesome salad. And you know what? I enjoyed that kind of thing. I think the Apostle Paul would have. Jesus enjoyed good food and good fellowship and fun and all of that. But that's not really what life is. That's, that's just the icing on the cake. That's, that's bonus. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And that's what we're going to look at today. I want you to take a look at this passage. So before I read this short passage here, the Apostle Paul found himself in a Roman prison. He's in a prison in Rome. And, um, and he's saying, you know what? It's okay, everybody. Don't worry about me. I'm doing fine. But guess what? Because I'm in prison, other people have taken up the mantle of preaching the gospel. And guess what? The gospel is advancing even great in a, in a uh, greater means because I'm in here. Other people have taken up the cause. And it's, it's had the opposite effect. They thought they would imprison the message, but they didn't. What happened is they gave me a bigger megaphone for the message because other people have taken up the cause. And, and he's saying, it doesn't matter. And he said, it doesn't matter if, if other people are preaching Christ uh, for the wrong reasons as long as it's the right message. I don't care what their motives are as long as the name of Jesus is being exalted. Uh, that's all that mattered. Because what mattered to Paul was not his comfort or his survival. He, it wasn't about him. It was about doing the will of God. And so, for me, what I draw from that is, as long as I know that I'm doing the will of God, I can endure anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, in Philippians 4.13. I can rejoice in everything, no matter what's happening, as long as I know I'm doing the will of God. And I can be thankful at all times, no matter what is going on around me, if I know I am doing the will of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul, Paul had such peace and such joy and such gratitude and such contentment. Because he knew he was doing the will of God. Paul's deepest love was not for the things of this world. And I... St. Augustine wrote much about disordered love. And I preached on this some months ago. He said the problem of sin is not just that we do bad things or don't do good things. It's the fact is our loves are in the wrong order. We don't have our loves in the right priority. The first love of our life ought to be the Lord himself. Amen? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And the deepest love that Paul had, it was not for himself. It was not for pleasure and for material goods. It was for Christ. He had a passionate love for Christ. And what's interesting is the reason he wanted to preach Christ and to get the gospel out is because he loved Jesus so much. 
He's like, I just want to tell you about the best thing that ever happened in my life, about the best person you could ever know who can transform you and make you the person that you were created to be, and that's Jesus. And he couldn't help himself. And I do worry when Christians, I do worry about the motives for why Christians serve. Whether you're singing on a worship team, whether you're running sound or, or, or the slides back there, whether you serve as an usher or a greeter, whether you serve in Sunday school, whether you lead a small group, whether you serve on the church board, whatever you do, what's the motivation behind what you do? You know, duty is noble. Loyalty is noble. Um, having a sense of justice is noble. There's a lot of good reasons. Some people do things out of anger because they're mad all the time. And the, the reason they take up a cause is, is a way to deal with their anger. But the Apostle Paul was not motivated by those. What he was motivated by was love for Christ. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the love of Christ compels me. It was nothing else but love. Jesus was the center and the core of Paul's existence. He was the organizing principle of Paul's life. Uh, Jesus was right at the focal point of the Apostle Paul's life. And I want you to take a look at this passage. So when he was, when he was um, writing this letter to the Christians in Philippi, in the first chapter, right before these verses that I have on the screen, he is talking about the fact that there are some believers who saw themselves in competition with Paul, and they were preaching the gospel because they thought, well, maybe we can build a bigger church than Paul ever did, you know, while he's in prison. And, and, and he didn't care about that because he knew it was not about him. And so what he said is, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Because of what? What's this? Because of this, I rejoice. Because of what? Because Christ is preached, I rejoice. He's not really saying, I'm rejoicing because I'm in prison. He's not crazy. He's like, I'm rejoicing because the fact that I'm in prison has caused Christ to be preached more by more people. And then he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but we'll have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And here's what he's saying. I'm not ashamed of these chains. I'm not ashamed of being ridiculed for what I believe. I'm not ashamed of bearing the scars of Christ on my body when I've been beaten. I'm not ashamed. Nobody can make me ashamed of my Lord. Do not be ashamed, no matter what. We're living in a day, folks, when the Christian message is under attack. What we believe is under attack. The values that we espouse is under attack. And you know, the world would want you to feel ashamed of what you believe, what you stand for, and who you believe in. Don't be ashamed. Just everybody together, can we just... Can you do this? Say, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. And you know what? You might have to say that to yourself when you're feeling a little bit uh, like you want to hide. When you feel a little bit embarrassed. Or feel like you want to hide your light under a bushel, as the Bible says. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for those that believe. But 
this verse 21 here that's on the screen, you know, he's saying here in verse 20, he's saying, my goal, my aim, and my ambition is that Christ will be exalted in my body. Okay? Right here. Your body is what you carry about with you in the world. Um, This is you. When you walk into a room, how do people know it's you? They know it by when they look at you and they can say, that's you. I can see there's Dean, there's Heather, there's Tina. I can recognize you. You know, you carry about who you are in this body, in this vessel. And he said, as I carry about this body in the world, I want Christ to be exalted in this body. This body is a temple. This is a house of God. This is a place where Christ is to be exalted, is in this body. Everything I do with this body, I want to be honoring to Christ. And that means the words that come out of my mouth. The emotions that I tend, that I, that I uh, entertain, whether they be positive or negative, I want all of them to be given over to Christ. And so for, for the Apostle Paul, he said, for me to live is Christ... And to die is gain. And that may be the central verse of the entire four chapters of Paul's letter to the Philippians. That verse, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, is like the organizing principle of his life. He's saying, I live for Christ. You want to understand me and what I'm about? Study Christ. Look at his life. That's what I'm about. It's not about all these other things that people get excited about. Everything that he tried to be, everything that he was, everything that he looked forward to pointed to Jesus Christ. His singular aim in life was to bring glory to Jesus. Christ was his focus, his goal, and his chief desire in life. He was fully devoted to Jesus. What about you and me? Um, it's interesting about the Apostle Paul. If uh, maybe you're here today and you don't know too much about him. Before he was the Apostle Paul, his name was Saul from Tarsus, from the city of Tarsus. And he was a legalistic Pharisee. He was a religious guy who hated the name of Jesus. And he made it his business to stamp out the name of Jesus and to stamp out the Christian church. And then one day, he met the Lord on the road to the city of Damascus. But the Apostle Paul, after he became a Christian, never forgot what he was. He never forgot that he was a bad man. Never forgot it. To the point where, even though he was grateful for the mercy of God that was shown to him, even though he knew that he didn't deserve to call himself a Christian, because if the Lord had not ambushed him on the road to Damascus, he would not be a Christian preacher. Uh, And so he said, I'm the least of all the saints, and I'm the least of... Um, the apostles, and I don't even deserve the grace that I've received. Do you know the story of the woman who was like a prostitute 
um, and she came to the home of Simon the Pharisee, and Jesus is there, and she comes up to Jesus, and she anoints his feet with her tears, and um, she wipes his feet with her hair, not a towel. She didn't wash his feet with water and use a towel, but with tears and her hair in an act of worship and adoration and love. Paul was that kind of a person. Um, and the Apostle Paul, the reason he loved Jesus so much is the same reason why that woman loved Jesus so much. Because she was forgiven much. And she knew it. And Paul was forgiven much. And he knew it. Do you know how much you've been forgiven? Because if you don't really love Jesus, just think about what he rescued you from. The Apostle Paul, because of that love, remained optimistic, even in the worst of times. And I, I want to show you this, uh, this picture here. Um, <laughs> so I want you to look at the person beside you just for a second. And I want you to say to them, if you've got someone beside you, Say, which one are you? Are you cup half full or cup half empty? Ask them. You want to try that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, which, now, so I want you to do this. If you know the person sitting beside you and you think that they're a cup half empty person, I want you to raise their hand. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Um, okay, but you do it this way. If you think the person sitting beside you is a cup half full kind of a person, why don't you raise their hand? You can do that. You give them a compliment. All right. But who is raising whose hand there, Penny? Okay. Anyway, uh, that's great. So here, here was the Apostle Paul. Here he is in prison, and, 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 and other people were looking at him and saying, oh, poor Paul. And, you know, we got to get him out of there. And he, like, it's over. His mission is over. And he's saying, no, no, no. You're thinking cup half empty. It's cup half full. And actually, it was cup overflowing for Paul. He's saying, because I'm here, you're out there, and you've taken up the cause, and now the name of Christ has been proclaimed everywhere, including the people that I'm chained up to. I've got a captive audience. Look at this picture here. This is one you've all seen. I'm going to ask you a question. What do you see when you look at that picture? Do you see the old woman, or do you see the young woman? And... This is interesting about this. The reason I showed you a picture that was common is I didn't want you to be thinking about, you know, the thing for the rest of the sermon. Anyway, because I think most of you are familiar with this. But what do you see? Isn't it interesting in life? We can all look at exactly the same thing and see something different. We can, we can all look at the same set of circumstances, the same situation, and come up with completely opposite interpretations of that situation. Isn't that right? What do you see around you? The Apostle Paul was an optimist. His love for Christ uh, and knowing that he was loved by Jesus and that he loved him in return just filled him with great optimism, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. And what Paul saw around him was opportunity everywhere. And so really he had what we call a win-win mentality. 
He's saying, you know what? They put me in prison because they thought they would lock up the message. They didn't. They actually gave me a pulpit and, and gave everybody else a pulpit. And so it was win-win. He says, you know what? If I stay in prison, no problem. Other people have taken up the cause. If I get released from prison, no problem. I can be out there preaching the gospel out into the open world once again. He said, if people are preaching the gospel from good motives or from false motives, doesn't matter as long as Christ is being preached. He didn't care what people thought about him. All that mattered is that the name of Christ is being proclaimed. Even if he was to die, he had a win-win attitude. He said, okay, I'm here in prison. And he said, I could be facing execution. I might be a martyr for the faith. And he said, if, 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 I, if I die, that's actually better for me. There's a win. With a capital W, that's a big win. I win big time. So, this is going to come up at the screen. Here's a question for you. Who wants to go to heaven? No, you don't. You'd, okay, so it's like this story. Here's a story for you. So Sunday school teacher, she's teaching Sunday school. She's talking about heaven. She says to all the kids in Sunday school, she says, how many of you want to go to heaven? And they all raise their hands except for one boy. And she turns to the one boy, Freddie, and she says, Freddie, don't you want to go to heaven? He goes, um, yeah, but my mom's going to have chocolate cake for dessert tonight. <laughs> and, and the fact of the matter is, you want to go to heaven, but you don't want to go yet. Well, maybe some of you do, but here's the thing. The less palatable life is, the less savory that your life is, the more you want to go. Because you see it as a real... You know why people commit suicide, right? Because they, they just can't tolerate life anymore. They've lost hope. And, and, but for, for the Christian, it's not suicide. For the Christian, Paul's saying, if they kill me, if they execute me, it's a big win for me. And he believed in heaven that much that life would go on. Wow. Um, but he said, but wait a minute. There is the possibility that I'm going to get released, and most Bible scholars think that he did, that he got paroled, so to speak. He got released and continued his ministry in the open world. And here was his attitude. I want you to go back to the scripture again. His attitude was this. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I die, for me it's a gain. But if I go on living in this body, in this world, in the here and now, on this planet, then it's all about Christ. And he did say in the verses following this, which won't come up on the screen, he said, if I go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. It means I'm going to be able to continue my ministry with all of you. That's also a win. And um, he just said, I win either way. Who thinks that way? The Apostle Paul did. And that is the Christian worldview. I w hope to God that every single person in this sanctuary would think that way. Because say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you don't have to fear death. And it, it, I'm inspired by it because, <laughs> you know, I, I turned 69 two days, three days ago, November 14th. Well, by the way, 
Was Lena was Lena Lila's little boy born on November 14th? 13? Ah, oh, too bad. Anyway, we could have shared a birthday. We would have been like soulmates or something like it. Anyway, um, I turned 69. And I'm, I'm at retirement age. I know people that are much younger than me that have retired already. And I know many of them use their retirement to serve Christ. They do. And they, they actually see it as not just a time to relax and have fun, but to, to, to be God's missionaries in the world. And, and, uh, but, you know, the Apostle Paul in chapter 1, he says, you know, I don't know what to choose. If, if, if it was up to me, and, and God said, Paul... What do you want to do? Do you want to live or do you want to die? Because, you know, you can make the choice right now. Do you want to pick door number one or door number two? And Paul would go, you know, I, it's a dilemma. I don't know because, like, I really want to go and be with you forever, Lord. And, I just, and, and then all my trouble is done, you know. But I love my ministry. And I feel that way about myself. I, I feel like I love living with purpose. I know many of you share this. I love the idea of just living with purpose, that my life has meaning. Because I, you know, if I could just still make a difference. And, and we all do it in different ways. Um, but sometimes I feel torn because I, I would, whenever I have my Sabbath or when I go on vacation, I love having to wake, I love waking up in the morning and having no agenda. And an unscripted day, and I can sleep in if I want to, and I don't have to do anything I don't want to do necessarily. You know, um, I love that idea, but I'm torn. But right now, God has placed you and me on this earth for a purpose. And that's why Rick Warren's book made such a difference. Viktor Frankl, and I'll end with this, he... Um, wrote a book called The Search for Meaning. Many, some of you might have read it, The Search for Meaning. Um, he uh, published the book in 1946, and the book chronicled his experiences as a prisoner in Nazi concentration camps during the Second World War. He experienced the worst of the worst, and he survived. And he said this, that if people could identify a purpose, um, and if people were optimistic that there was still something to hope for, they did not give in to despair and they could survive. Um, and he talked about optimism. He said people who remain optimistic, even in the worst of circumstances, will always find a way to turn tragedy into triumph. And they are the people who do not just survive, but thrive. He said, it's not about happiness. It's about meaning. Frederick Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. If you know why you're here, you can bear almost anything in life. Happiness is not the ultimate purpose. Don't let anybody deceive you. But meaning and purpose are found in Jesus Christ. The good life is a life that is lived well. Are you living well today? Would you pray with me? I want to invite the worship team to come, and they're going to sing in closing.
And I'm going to ask you to do something today. I want you in prayer right now. to bring your life before the Lord Jesus right now and to say, Lord Jesus, I want to live my life with greater purpose. Lord, I do not seek happiness for its own sake or the material things of this world, but Lord, I seek you. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. May that be my testimony, Lord. And I'm wondering if today you would just, and maybe it would help you if you just take your hands, palms upward, and if you say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Lord, show me what it is to live my life with purpose, to put Christ at the very center of my existence. To live the good life on your terms. A life that is lived well. A life that proclaims Jesus. As our heads are bowed in prayer, what do you see when you look around you in your world? Do you see opportunity for the gospel? What would happen in your life if tragedy struck? If your worst fears were realized? Could you still hold on to hope? Could you still know this peace that transcends all understanding that Paul talks about in Philippians? Could you still rejoice always as Paul talked about in Philippians? Could you still have contentment no matter what the circumstances? Whether living in plenty or living in need, whether well-fed or hungry, could you still be content because you have Christ? Could you say with him, I can endure, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? And so I want you to just, as we close in prayer, would you say, Lord, would you show me in this next day, this next week, this next month, what it means for me to live for Christ and to make him my first love. And I will follow. In Jesus' name, amen.